Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from uh, Oblong, Illinois. And Oblong is just outside a Twin City, Bloomington Normal, in the middle of the state. And given that uh, I live in Illinois, one of the fun titles we saw in the local newspaper in Bloomington Normal was Oblong Girl, Mary's Normal Boy. <laughs> I'm already laughing. That is such a hoot. Yeah. And otherwise, Oblong's not that funny. But when you actually see that in the headline, Oblong Girl, Mary's Normal Boy, you got to say, now that is funny. And one of the things we want to continue doing is explore cases that we've been visiting with people about that kind of play on this subject of conflict management and how do I go about doing it. And the case we want to start with today is a little bit different than the last one. It's in an educational setting and in a very large school system. And the person we had a chance to visit with is a highly successful, well-thought-of school social worker who's been in her position for nearly two decades. And she's well-regarded within the system. But the conflict she had or has and is continuing is with a colleague uh, that she's been working with for the past six years. And she, along with this colleague and a few other people, are responsible for evaluating students in the system regarding their uh, psychosocial development. And what she found out over the course of them meeting to evaluate students is that this particular colleague, and we're going to call the, the social worker Jen and the colleague Terry, this particular colleague has difficulty making decisions and presenting her point of view. And so when she's encouraged to do that or she's contradicted, she reacts pretty defensively. And it has gotten to the point that for Jen, that this colleague has begun to talk about her uh, without talking to her, to principals, to kind of almost anybody who will listen and say, I'm just wondering if Jen's got an issue here. I wonder if Jen's got a problem with me. And what she's essentially done, according to the conversation we had with Jen, is she has turned the conflict from a simple conflict. We've got things to do here. We've got an evaluation to do. I have a responsibility to step up and share my viewpoint, which would be in our terminology, a bear a simple conflict because she's not delivering into an ego conflict. But within the system, it appears as if sides are being drawn, the people are being drawn in that the uh, colleague is attempting to get people, if you will, on her side and is operating in a somewhat passive-aggressive manner. Now, in the last case study, we said, well, then one individual clearly, Terry, uh, is engaged in an ego conflict. But I think unlike the last uh, case, it has eventually drawn Jen in into an ego conflict where Jen's feeling pretty strongly about this person. You said eventually. Now, th these two colleagues... I think you gave a time frame of have been working together for six years. How long has it been that the conflict has risen to a level where Jen just sees it as so annoying, it's almost untenable in terms of a work relationship? I think probably within the last two to three years, of course, the pandemic and 2020 is kind of discarded since people were working from home and it was so uh, strange. And now we're into 2021 and it's just starting up. So I would say probably 2019, maybe into 2018, it was really beginning to develop at this level and it was beginning to escalate. I think what I'm hearing you say is that initially for Jen, conflict could have been simple in the sense of the issue was clear to her. 
Mm -hmm. There was conversation taking place outside their relationship with others that was causing her some confusion and concern. But over time, Jen has come to a place where now it feels far more offensive to her on a personal level. It's not just that that conversation could still be taking place. It's that Jen feels constantly at risk personally, professionally from her colleague, I think we've called her Terry, the way she conducts herself. Yes. For the most part, Jen has picked this up from colleagues or even a phone call from a principal, from a school administrator saying, I just got word that you may be troubled about something. Is there something we should be doing? And when Jen kind of got to the bottom of it, it was something that Terry had shared about her that had no basis in Jen's mind in any sort of reality. So she began to become very concerned and very leery of working with Terry because the more she worked with her, the more she would get this feedback from other sources about, well, what's wrong with Jen? And Jen was saying, nothing's wrong with Jen. We just need to get the job done and we're not getting the job done. So as you said, conflict clearly started with simple conflict and then they evolve into a setting where, no, no, I'm being drawn in personally. My name's being used. I'm I'm being talked about in a way that does not make me feel good. And so I'm reaching my limits pretty quickly with this kind of thing. Now that's compounded by the fact that they have to meet two to three times a week to evaluate students. And so this is ongoing until one of them leave the system or get in a new role. And as we talk with Jen, Jen doesn't see that happening for either of them anytime in the near future. So now this becomes a relationship that has to be managed or has to be dealt with. So that's one of one of the issues. And really kind of the question was, so how do I best deal with this? Although in recalling the firsthand conversation about this conflict, it also seems to me though that Jen was not being adversely thought of or negatively thought of as a byproduct of Terry's comments uh, to others. Uh, it was something that others seemed to recognize as Terry's problem in the sense of uh, that behavior was really not acceptable to them either. D- they did not see it as an appropriate way for her to handle anything. Mm-hmm. So Jen was never at risk, was my impression, from Terry's behavior because she had a well-earned reputation, a well-earned regard that uh, others didn't see her as likely to be the issue. Yes, Uh, Exactly. But in most organizations that we work with, when we hear this, when we find this out, when it's shared with us in a coaching session, at the very least, it's irritating that you have to keep dealing with this. You're feeling, why do I have to keep, in a sense, putting out these brush fires when there's no reality to them? And so you're right. Jen is so highly regarded, so well thought of in the system that most of the people start the conversation with, well, I heard this, but given the source, I just wanted to let you know. I know that this is not about you. It's really about her. But it is that case of spending energy having to deal with this. But you're right. In terms of actually affecting her work and her reputation, I suspect that it's minimal. And that, in fact, it has a larger impact on the reputation of Terry as she continues to do it. And clearly, that was one of the things that came out in the conversation around the case, is that almost everyone in the system has become a little leery of working with Terry for the very same reasons. And that's where the conflict comes back into play. When they're in conflict in the conversations, and in Terry's mind, it's gone wrong because she's not either been supported or her view has not been held, then there's backlash. And so I think that is one of the issues. So I think our model of simple pseudo and ego conflict has some application here. It'd be interesting to see how we want to explore this, but I would certainly put it in the case of, okay, I think it's It is a pretty full-blown ego conflict. And if I'm trying to think through with Jen, how do you deal with it? Then there may be some suggestions coming forth. In general, my impression as we talk with Jen, 
was that as much as possible, she wants to try to avoid Terry. Now, she's got a working relationship, so she needs to work with her, but her strategy is to avoid her. But one of the observations we made was that in public school systems, unlike manufacturing settings, there is a strong push towards collegiality and the sense of having positive working relationship, the emphasis on relationship. So that becomes a little more confounding in terms of how do I deal with this? Right. That was exactly what I was thinking, that in some settings, a significant amount of your satisfaction at work comes from your relationships, comes from that collegiality. I mean, in manufacturing, I need to get along with the people I work with, but we don't have to be friends. And I don't drive a lot of satisfaction from my relational contact at work in a manufacturing setting. But in a school setting, actually, as a former teacher, what I remember is that if it weren't for the friendships, the sense of teamwork, the collegiality of the other teachers, I would never stay a teacher for even the time I did, because certainly the pay doesn't warrant it. And you think, uh, what, what do teachers get out of it? Well, what they get out of it is relationships with students, with other teachers. And so when that piece is broken, when, when you're not getting along with someone else, it is, to my way of thinking, far more significant in that setting than it would be in other. Mm-hmm. And so I can really appreciate why Jen would be beyond annoyed, but really that a significant amount of her satisfaction at work is being taken away. It's being reduced by this contact. Mm-hmm. And if it happens two or three times a week, that's when I've got to have contact. That is a critical element to my to my week. Yes. So when you think about the Thomas Kilman model, the potential choices Jen has in terms of the situation she finds herself in, any thoughts about some of the choices she she ought to try to make? Recommendations would be is to find the cases that they've worked on in the past that have been very successful in which Jen could identify positive elements that Terry has provided Mm. and focus on those for the future. So, you know, Terry, in this previous case, this is something you did. This is something we we reached consensus on. I'd like to see if we could do that in this case. I'd like to see if you'd be willing to take that on. So in each of the cases they're currently involved in, if she could focus on the positive things that she thinks Terry could offer and highlight those so that Terry, one, hears that Jen believes that she has a positive contribution to make, that Jen recognizes what Terry can contribute and communicates that to Terry. I think that would be one way to go on the current cases. Outline what she believes are the positive choices Terry could make that make a big difference. You know, as you said that, I was thinking it pushes more towards collaborative effort or more of a collaborative choice. But if they were working on a particular case and Jen suggested to Terry, I want you to lead out. Why don't you lead out and just share your ideas? And indeed, if Terry does share some idea that's, that is a really helpful idea, Jen would be able to throw her support behind it. It's not just accommodating. Jen would actually believe this is a good idea. And so it's a case of her getting Terry to take the lead, which has been a difficult thing as I understand it, is to get Terry to take the lead. And then for Jen to throw her support behind that if it makes sense. Now, Jen happens to be one of those people that at the bottom line, and I think we're grateful for this, is the student. We would call them the client, but the student who's being evaluated, that they get the best help, that they get the best assessment, that they get the best diagnosis, that they get the best help available. And so Jen's not going to sacrifice that to accommodate uh, Terry if Terry comes up with something that her mind doesn't work for the student or for the students involved. But that uh, doesn't preclude her ability to get Terry out front and see what she can support. No, in fact, it gives her some room to do that with with greater uh, impact. If Terry 
really does begin to clearly understand that Jen sees her in positive ways, that Jen has some positive regard for her professional contributions. Then when it's necessary to address things that aren't as effective, things that aren't as productive, she's given herself the space to do that without being viewed as being solely negative. And I think that's really, from from recall of the conversation, that would be hard for Jen right now because she hasn't felt positive about Terry in a long while. I mean, the, the weight of those negative feelings would keep her from sounding positive in an authentic way. But if she could discipline, if she could force herself in that track to get to that positive place with Terry, and maybe it'll take the past more than the current or her fear for the future, but see those positive things. And like you said, prompt Terry to take the lead, reinforce it where she can, and then add some very accurate feedback, not criticism, but accurate feedback that will allow Terry and Jen feel they're in a more constructive professional connection. You know, one of the things that you have said in the past and a term you use pretty frequently is boundaries. And it does strike me that one of the things that Jen needs to make sure she's doing is to establish some boundaries. And and based on our conversation, I felt she was pretty good at identifying what her boundaries are, but being sure to restate those and make sure that those uh, boundaries are clear to Terry and that She'll challenge Terry if she violates one of those boundaries is very, very important. My reaction, and I think you were suggesting this in our conversation, that one of the boundaries that Jen probably needs to set up for Terry is that you don't say something to someone else that you don't say to me first, and that Jen wants to hear that. Now, in all likelihood, in my mind, Terry's not going to do that. Based on everything I got a picture of Terry is that that's not her style is to be confronted. Her style is to not be confronted, is to avoid, is to do whatever she can to get away from it, but then end up talking about it somewhere else to get an emotional release. But that doesn't mean Jen shouldn't draw that boundary and then shouldn't maintain that boundary. Well, and the boundary should be mutually agreed upon. Mm. I mean, I can can go to Terry and say, Terry, in our relationship, for our relationship, to be more effective, we probably both need to have an understanding of what best boundaries to use to, to operate it within. And I want to hear what you need from me in terms of our connection that makes a difference to you, that makes you believe our relationship can work. And I'll be glad to share with you some boundaries that I believe are important to me uh, in order for our relationship to work. And like you said, Bob, one of them clearly would be, I don't want to hear anything said about me unless it's been said to me. That's number one. Number two is once we feel that boundary has been violated, we need to bring it to each other's attention immediately before it becomes a large issue while it's still a small issue. And we can we can address it in a proportional manner. It's small. Let's let's deal with it. One of the other things that I'm aware that Jen is doing, she has gotten sufficiently uncomfortable with Terry and their interaction and the fact that a lot of what Terry shares is misinformation about Jen, that Jen has had someone else in the room every time Terry and she interact. And so that's more of a self-protective mechanism. Now, one of the possibilities would be regarding this ego conflict is if Jen could find someone that Terry respects and believes would operate in her best interest, maybe another professional in the system that Terry has a high regard for, that she believes this person would be fair. And that Jen would also believe, it's going to take both of them to believe this person would be fair to both of them, and that this person has the respect of both of them for that person to become the person that sits in on the session. And for that person to be able to direct Terry and say, you know, you're kind of out of bounds here, or you're you're being too defensive, or whatever it might be. But it's back to that notion of ego conflict, that the critical solution factor for ego conflict is you have a third-party intervention where the third party is respected and regarded 
by both individuals. So I could see in a, in a system this large that that might be another way for Jen to begin to deal with this. And in a way, it's a case of I'm not having to deal with it. I'm going to get this third person to deal with it. And if the third person believes I've got a role that I need to alter or be different about, I want them to talk to me about that. So that would be one possible solution, I think, in the area of egoism. No, I think that that's a great response. That's a terrific option. Mm-hmm. In terms of the five strategies, I don't think avoidance, even though that's one that would be probably used at this point by Jen, is probably the best because no one's disappearing. This is not going to naturally go away. No one's leaving. School systems, people stay or they leave on their own accord. Generally, they're not forced out based on a conflict. Mm -hmm. So I don't think avoidance is probably a useful strategy to consider. Kind of, I'm laughing at myself here. I think a strategy that that might work, although I'm not recommending at first, is the competitive strategy. Jen says, uh, I'm tired of this. I'm going to win. And how I'm going to win is I'm going to keep bringing this to everyone else's attention until they stop avoiding Terry, until they stop accommodating her. Because I think what we heard was that a number of people in dealing with Terry accommodate her. They give her enough room to make her think she's heard. They give her enough reinforcement, although it may be unintentional reinforcement, that she thinks she's doing the right thing by sharing these stories. Mm -hmm. And I think that if I were to recommend anything to Jen other than collaboration at this point, it might be competition. Say, go all out and, and hold the people who are listening to Terry accountable. See, if I were Jen, I would ask them the following question. Why is it you didn't tell her to talk to me first? Why is it you listened? Why didn't you say to Terry, Terry, or ask Terry, have you shared this with Jen before you shared it with me? Because if she says no, then I would say, you need to go and talk with Jen. And then if between the two of you, you think I can serve the purpose of mediating some of this information, both of you come back to me. I have to confess, when you were saying the competitive strategy, I was thinking, okay, I can see the two of them, Jen walking and saying, okay, let's put the gloves on. I brought gloves with me. Let's just put the gloves on. We're going to go for this. But then I thought, seriously, there is a sense of urgency. You talked about the context for a competitive choice is the degree of urgency involved. And the feeling is that we've got to make these evaluations weekly and we can't fall behind. So there is not a case of we can put these things off and just roll with this one. We've got to get the whole team in action on a weekly basis to do justice to the students. So I can see and agree with the notion, well, alternatively to a collaborative strategy, a competitive strategy may be the one that says, no, I'm going to have to go after this. Now, I don't know if you say to Terry, to her face, I'm going to win, loser, or start walking around with a big L on your forehead saying this is what you are. Not that kind of competitive strategy, but to say, no, I'm not going to let you continue to do this. Yes. This is not going to work. Well, in this situation, Bob, it seems to me that one of the critical factors, the contextual factors, is that the people who are most affected by this are students. Mm -hmm. Neither Jen nor Terry will suffer necessarily from it other than the annoyance but the people in the end may not get the best product or the best service are the students. So in Jen's natural style to be committed to them, yeah, she needs to step up. And even if Terry is not going to be more initiating in addressing this, I think, yeah, Jen can go ahead and say, no, I'm going to grab this. I'm going to make sure that this somehow gets addressed. So I think if I were to try to summarize, because we're up against the wall in terms of time, if I were to try to summarize what I'm hearing in terms of some of our recommendations, we're saying that accommodation can be used sparingly, probably in old cases where I can show support when 
Terry did something effective. I can show a support and encouragement that avoidance shouldn't be used because it's situation just isn't temporary. It's going to go on. And so avoiding it just simply delays what has to get done and the students get affected. Let me stop you a second. Did you mean accommodation or collaboration? I thought I said accommodation can be used sparingly. Yes. Okay. Okay. And I think what we're saying is collaboration and even competition are better strategic choices in this situation for Jen as she moves forward. And then we did try to address ego conflict situation with a couple different strategies in terms of dealing and finding a third party to maybe help intervene, that Jen really does want to set boundaries, that Jen needs to confront the people that she gets feedback from when it comes from Terry to them to push them a bit and say, you know, in a way you're not being helpful when you listen to her and not sure. And so to help the system help get this uh, situation corrected. Yeah, they've got these outside players who are playing a role that need to understand the way they're playing the role is not particularly helpful. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big so complicated or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast.